My name's Sam Towns. And I'm Alex Norton. Before we get to today's episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor. Today's Forgecast is coming at you thanks to our boy Robert Weber Abrasives, our preferred supplier of abrasives in Australia. Need to shape something? You need abrasives. So give Rob a call or visit him at abrasives.on.net today. Yeah. So um, I'm going to apologize in advance. I still have a cold um, <laughs> and it's slowly migrating to my lungs right now. So uh, The man I, flu. Yeah, the dreaded man flu. And I'm all out of scotch as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'll apologize. My voice is a bit weird and if I cough occasionally. Um, <clears throat> with that being said, what did you get up to this week, Alex? Uh, it was a bit of a sad week. My uh, touch mark that has faithfully been by my side for the last probably two years finally shit itself. Oh no! Uh, so what, I've got to make happened? a new one. Oh, I just—it's um—it has a, a the the two dots on it are uh, sort of standout points, not uh, as reinforced as the rest of it. So eventually, just you know, it gets hammered. So yeah. eventually, it's going to fail. But two years for a handmade touch mark was pretty good. I thought. Yeah, served um, pretty good. Yeah, it gives me a chance to make the next one a little bit neater. Um, I was never fully happy with it, but, you know, we'll see. I'm not changing the logo, but it is going to be a bit crisper, I think, the new one. It's handmade. It's rustic. Yeah, that's right. That's what I like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I've got um, piles of SUP9 uh, round stock sitting there, so... yeah. Uh, I might give it a, a slightly longer handle this time. The, the other one I usually had to hold in tongs because it was uh, a bit toasty holding my hand near the work. Yeah, mine gets a bit toasty. Mine's only like five inches long. <laughs> when you're doing that and on hammers, it's quite quite toasty. Actually, now that I think about it, I do have some H13 that uh, that you sent me. You do? Which uh, might make for a really nice touch mark material. It might last a bit longer. Mmm. Uh, yeah. Not the longest piece in the world, though. No, unfortunately, it got cut into little pieces by a friend of mine. Um, uh, he, yeah, that was annoying. But uh, the knife that I'm working on currently is actually going to be one of the last knives that uh, has my old touch mark in it. So, collector's mm. item if people like my work. Yeah, um, it's a stunning piece, too, so... Yeah, but it won't be the last knife that has that touch mark on it because I also have um, started a batch of little chunky boy neck knives. Um, mm. I was going to just do four or five, and I got a bit carried away, and I've been making eight of them. Um, so it's uh, basically just a, uh, a series I wanted to make that um, they're a, a nice little knife, a little two-finger hold on it, uh, but a nice broad blade, um, sort of heavy belly on it which is a nice little all-purpose thing that still has a little bit of heft to it. Get a bit of variety on the handles, but all of those had the old touch mark, but um, the one of the, the dots broke off, so um, half of them actually had a center punch mark to <laughs> fill in the dot. <coughs> um, Fair enough. But the, the one you were talking about is the sub-hilt fighter that's um, 
a uh, I was I was writing it wrong because I'm not a weeb. Um, I was writing it as, as a hachimai, but a shichimai um, okay. construction, seven layers, mm-hmm. not not eight. Um, and it's just 1080 before and 15 and 20, nothing, you know, the, the Vegemite cheese, as I like to call it, <laughs> peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so nothing fancy there, but I did put a lot of work into finishing it really nicely. Um, but, yeah, it's my first ever sub-hilt, and I went into this project knowing that they are difficult. Um, was not quite prepared for how fiddly they can get, but I'm forging ahead pardon the pun <laughs> and uh, trying to make it as nice as I can it's got a, an antler spacer uh, on there brass fittings and a beautifully chatoyant piece of Tasmanian oak that was gifted to me by um, a student of mine Broden uh, brother Odin on Instagram um, and he's actually going to be coming back to my workshop this weekend because he's going to be helping collaborate with me on a YouTube video that is going to be a fairly exciting one. It's been being planned for the last probably week. Um, lots of sort of planning and forethought and weird diagrams. And it may work, it may not, but... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to do it, to be honest. Uh, it's not the sort of thing I would probably have the energy to do on my own, but to have somebody helping, it should make it go a bit easier. Um, and I can't see why it would go wrong. But um, if it goes right, you'll see a really cool video. <laughs> <laughs> and if it goes wrong, we'll see a very funny video. go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm not sure whether or not I'll turn it into a video if it goes wrong. I'm not sure it would be able to be salvaged, but... Um, mm. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a cool project. It's something I'm incredibly excited to see how it turns out. Um, I mean, probably am not the first person to have thought of this, but uh, uh, haven't haven't seen anybody else playing with it. But it, I'd like to see other people do it as well if it works. So I'm doing the YouTube video to show people how. Cool. Um, I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath. Mm, you might you might be a bit grumpy when you see what it is, though. <laughs> I don't know why I would be. Um, and the final thing I've been doing is tooling up by making lots of custom tooling for um, making a series of slip joint folders mm. in my near future. Um, I really want the consistency and to get that consistency with slip joints or any type of folder really, jigs um, and special tools and things really help. And uh, luckily, the specialized tooling that you need for folders is really simple and easy to make. So that's been good because uh, my fabrication skills aren't exactly top tier. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, adding more tools, as, you know, Neil says, tool up or die. Indeed. My uh, song of the week is is jumping way back to the 90s again. Um, Mm. But it's one of my all-time favorite bands and definitely one of my top five favorite albums of all time. Um, I've been listening to that album and the album is called God Shuffled His Feet from the band The Crash Test Dummies and the the band is phenomenal, their lyrics are really deep and poignant, the singer has such a deep voice that he actually joked in an interview that he has three testicles and the world actually took him seriously (laughs) Um, but my favourite song from that album 
is a song called In the Days of the Caveman. And um, that's probably the one that gets the repeat button hit on it the most on that album. And it's an album that I like every single song. Like for, for an eclectic, that's rare to actually have a band put out an album and you literally love to death every single song there's none that you ever want to skip or are inclined to skip yeah Um, it is rare yeah and i could probably count the number of albums in the world for me that are like that on one hand and this is this is one of them um so yeah in the days of the caveman by crash test dummies brilliant brilliant song so how about you sam what have you been up to this week Oh, bugger all. Um, <laughs> Other than, you know, drowning in your own mucus. Oh, man, yeah, no, it's... it's The last couple of days have really sucked. Um, but, yeah, um, I did manage to get a little bit of stuff done. Um, I managed to finish a hammer that I've been working on for a while. Um, where I almost finished. I heat-treated it today. Mm-hmm. Um, French cross paint. That little froggy French cross paint that I've been working on on my Twitch streams. Um, and yeah, it came out really well. It heat treated really nicely. I used Satanite to protect it from oxidization during the heat treat, and that worked really well. And I, you know, very luckily didn't melt the copper inlay out of it when I <laughs> when I went to quen- when I went to harden it. Uh, I didn't think I was going to because I'm pretty good at controlling the temperature in my forge, but you know, there's always a risky run. Cue my hammer. <coughs> Yeah, so um, that was that was pretty fun. Um, the frog actually came out really, really good. Like I was surprised at how good it came out, um, being that it was my first serious character piece. You know, large character piece. Uh, it actually came out looking semi lifelike, which was you know kind of the goal, but I didn't expect to get there. I really um, like how he's <clears throat> put wraps around the top a little bit. Yeah, I, I kind of got that from when I did my little gecko engraving hammer, and one of the toes just kind of hooked over the top of the eye, and that effect just made it, like, ten times more realistic. Mm. And so when it came to designing the frog, I was like, I have to have some portion of this go around a corner. Um, and a, a lot of that comes from uh, Ilya uh, Slavic Smith, because whenever he does, like, dragons and stuff on his hammers, they're always, like, wrapped around the body of the hammer. And it makes it look amazing. So um, that was that was kind of where that idea came from. And I, I want to do a lot more of it. And there'll be a lot more of that kind of stuff on my on my Twitch channel uh, in the near future. <clears throat> um, I'm trying to think what else I've been up to. Because it's been uh, the last four days of just mind-numbing, just emptiness. Because I've been lying on the couch, drowning in my own fluids. Um, you know, just like in a haze of, you know, pain meds and, and, uh, antihistamines. Um, I've also been trying to work up to getting back to YouTube. So I've been doing Twitch streaming a little bit, uh, being sick, it, you know, doesn't lend itself to doing voiceover or anything. I've been mostly doing silent streaming, doing my engraving. Um, but yeah, that's, that's been fun. I've also been brewing up a, um... A bunch of ferric chloride. I bought some hydrochloric acid, some really powerful hydrochloric acid, uh, you know, a m- number of months ago, back when uh, Mick lived with us, because he was going to be making pickled uh, butcher's steels. And um, hydrochloric acid is really good for that because it gives a really fine uh, and shallow etch, but it's very even. 
uh, and that's really good for making pickled butcher steels, which are some of the best sharpening steels out there if you're going to use a steel. Pickled steels are the way to go. The thing is that after he left, I had no use for it, so I've been soaking uh, steel wool in it until I made into uh, <laughs> ferrous chloride. Now I've just got to get some um, uh, H2O2. Um, I can't remember the friggin' word for it. Every time hydrogen I peroxide? That's the one. Hydrogen peroxide. Um, yeah, i got to get some peroxide and then put it in there to make it ferric chloride. And then I'll have a really nice big batch of ferric chloride to use. Um... <clears throat> Other than that, I've been working on more Damascus, uh, and more Damascus, and more Damascus. Um, <laughs> always the Damascus. Um, I, man I finally got a bunch of steel from our wonderful Tool Time sponsor, uh, Creative Man. Uh, more 1084 to, to make into more billets. Um, yes. Uh, which is going to come very handy, because very soon I have a very big order, which involves some Damascus. So I'm looking forward to getting started on that. I was supposed to start on that this week, which is why I've been a little bit irritated, <laughs> because I got sick the moment that I decided that I was going, ah, this is the week I start, and then, no. <laughs> sorry. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what I've been doing. I also made, I finally actually made a piece of feather Damascus that stayed together. Oh, it yeah. Was, it was only straight layer. <laughs> But, um, and I started with two kilos of billet and ended up with about 750 grams, <laughs> but I did finally make a 750 gram bar of feather Damascus. You could have cracked macadamia nuts in my anus <laughs> while watching that damn video of you trying to <laughs> on your press. So I overestimate, well, I underestimated how much lateral force there was going to be in this <laughs> piece of leaf spring that I was using as a cutter like I, I knew it was a dumb idea but I just wanted to make a cutter and make it really fast and so I literally just cut the end off a leaf spring and then straightened it in the forge and then welded it and obviously when I welded it on it was just slightly angled like I used a square and everything but because it's a tapered piece you can't you can't like line it up so I, I lined it up by eye as close as possible and there was obviously just that little bit of a tweak in it and as it was being pressed, it was being bent. <laughs> and then I'm trying to correct. With Solid the... welds, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Was, I, the welds didn't break. I actually ended up bending the, the, the blade. If you look at it now, it's, it's actually bent in the middle. So, got to make a new blade. I've got the stock to make a new blade. Um, and I've just got to cut it off and, and weld it on. I'll do a better job this time. <laughs> Ideally, you almost want, like, a really thick hollow grind or something yeah well i mean it doesn't have to be it can be just a wedge like if you look at kyle roy's one it, it goes to like an inch thick at the base and it's just like this straight wedge true because um, you're not really cutting you're you're kind of mashing yeah because you want it blunt at the end um and that's why there's so much force on it and that's why i underestimated the amount of force on the blade because you know it was basically just a straight piece of leaf spring. It didn't even have a, an edge on the front. It was just trying to drive the flat head of the, the leaf spring through it. So I have uh, the head off one of the jackhammer bits that I turn into my um, Hexhawks. is actually a giant spade, but the spade is an inch thick. Right, like it's an inch thick and it's about four inches wide and it's about five inches long. So I'm going to cut the spade head off. Uh, and I'm going to grind it down to a more of a point a little bit uh, and cut the sides off so that I've got, you know, it's only, you know, three inches wide, not four. 
Uh, and then, yeah, I'll, I'll weld that onto a plate, and that will not bend. Like, mm. guarantee it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was that was exciting, finally getting that to work. Um, people kept asking me what I was going to make it into, and, you know, like, what I had planned for it, and I'm like, man, I didn't expect to get this far, so... <laughs> <laughs> He was going to send it to me. Of course. Yeah. Uh, actually, funny note, someone actually bought the other Feather Damascus that I did. Um, really? Yeah, where I made it into a blade. Even though it's still got like flaws in it and stuff, someone messaged me and said, listen, I will pay you to send it to me. Just finish the blade, harden it, and if it doesn't explode, I will pay you to ship it to me, and I'm going to put a handle on it and hang it on a wall. And I was like, just so you know, it's not a knife like it <laughs> even if I harden it it's going to be a nice shaped object and they were like yeah that's fine I just want a piece of your work you know and I'll put a handle on it and then it's going to go on a shelf and it's never going to get used and so I was kind of like cool I used it for some hollow grind practice um, you know and that was fun and now I'm just going to etch it and send it off uh, but yeah so thank you to that person for making a bit of a win out of a failure nice I replaced the steel that I lost <laughs> <laughs> that's all I charged him was the loss of steel um, but anyway yeah so um, with that being said my song of the week is from the 90s as well oh. um, I blame my local busker for this one um, I was walking past and I heard the opening riff from this song and I was just like I have not heard that song in a million years. I went home and had it on repeat for about three hours because it's such a bop. Uh, and honestly, every morning when I start in the forge, I have to have this at the beginning now because it's just amazing. Uh, it's called Place Your Hands by Reef. And uh, no one recognizes the name of the song, but the moment you look up the song and listen to the opening riff, you'll know exactly the song that I'm talking about. Right. Uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, it is a fantastic song. Um, you hear it a lot in Australian bars, uh, <laughs> or you used to back when I used to go to bars. <laughs> you were there for different reasons, though. Of course, I was. I was there for the music. You were the. You were the bouncer. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I, you, that was the majority of the time that I spent at bars was as a bouncer. I, I very rarely actually was a patron. Mainly because I don't drink very often. Uh, still more than me. Yeah, well, you know, once every six months or so. Uh, well, we have either inspirations or we have a couple of emails. Uh, let's do the emails. Alrighty. We have <coughs> um, one that came through on our Instagram page. Mm. Um, at the dot forgecast. These ones always surprise me because I never get to see those. Yes, this is from David Pin, who goes by Big Forge Blacksmithing. Okay. He says, "Here's a question for you guys. Recently, as I've been grinding my knives, I have noticed that the middle of the blade area gets thinner than the heel or the tip, a lot quicker. I'm assuming that this is because it is getting more contact than the heel or the tip." Since the middle gets the entire two-inch width of the belt, while the heel and the tip only get touched briefly on either edge of the belt, do you guys have any tips or tricks to fight this and keep an even thickness all along the bevel? Thanks for the great podcast. Well, thank you for your question. Uh, it's quite a common 
occurrence actually in, in novice blade grinders to get uh, if not the middle then the belly caught towards the tip to thin out quite a bit and that a lot of that time it comes down to angle pressure and speed um, now I'm I'm a terrible knife maker in that I don't mark my centers when I go to <laughs> grind my bevels I just kind of do it by eye and I've been lucky so far um, <laughs> but um, yeah, a lot of the time you'll either focus too much on the heel, too much on the tip, or you'll rush through the middle. Um, but in some other cases, some people will rush through their plunge, spend you know a good amount of time with a lot of pressure in the middle because that's where they feel the most secure, and then they'll rush through the tip because they don't want to overheat it. Um, the the key is long, smooth, even strokes and even pressure along the whole length. But mar marking your centers is going to make that a lot easier. Because then you mm. can just chase just chase the line. Basically just grind up to the line. If you've hit the line in one spot, don't grind there anymore. Yeah. For my two cents, it would be... Because, yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of students come through my shop and grinding is a whole thing that I um, spend a day with them... Um, the first time they're ever at the grinder it's a whole day uh, and I get them to grind wooden knives first because mm -hmm. it really quickly highlights where your problem areas are and the most common problem areas that I see is a lack of consistency in either pressure or speed um, oh, sorry pressure or angle or both and because you, you really want to kind of very slightly round off as you're going towards the tip to try and grind in that distal taper but people will have trouble only you know holding it perfectly flat and then just rounding off at the edge so they start trying to do almost like a curve with their body because they're mm. turning at the hips and that makes them push in and get two inch bite down near the uh, the plunge line um, yeah. at the start and then they you know they're, they're trying to mimic the the turn off that you have it towards to create the distal taper they're mirroring it on the other side um and the other thing is not maintaining the same pressure even pressure across the entire thing um, which is difficult and you have to adjust as you go because you are actually um if you're holding say your left hand's holding the tip of the blade and your right hand's holding behind the ricasso as you're moving it across the platen, which is only going to be two inches wide, where the pressure is actually going to be applied can easily change as one hand goes further away from the platen yeah. uh, and it causes tilt in the knife. Um, in, in a lot of cases, I recommend people starting off uh, with doing the push stick grinding method using mm -hmm. the tool rest because you can keep the push stick in the middle of the belt. Yes. <laughs> because like so often people try and do it freehand and they'll either lean into the handle like the tang too much and they'll end up grinding really heavily into their plunge cut uh, or they'll put too much pressure towards the tip and they'll end up grinding a two inch divot I'm, I'm a very cruel teacher and I think that uh, that just teaches bad habits so I get them to do it freehand first <laughs> um, but what I actually recommend is that they learn to lock their elbows and their hips and actually move by pivoting their ankles and their knees yeah. Uh, to pass themselves side by side and they move sideways that way uh, yeah, yeah. Rather, rather than rotating your whole upper body should be fixed you yeah know, and, until you get to the turn off for the distal taper yeah yeah um, and so by going through all of this with wooden 
um, knives. I just cut them out on the bandsaw, so they're basically they're like six to ten mil thick wooden knives, and I get them to also no scribe line down the middle, no guideline. I know that's people will say, "Hey, you just make extra work for yourself and all that sort of thing." But if you're gonna learn learn right, and mm-hmm. if you can do it by muscle memory, then if you then later decide you want to add those scribe lines, then you will just be you know even better again um so that's just my personal view on it though some people just want to make their lives easier <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I mean, if, if you if, can if, consistently do wooden knives you can do steel knives yeah and i mean my my advice comes from a place of you know get you the results you want you know i wanted to be able to grind freehand really well <laughs> Some people don't want to grind freehand at all. They just want to make a knife. In which case, mark your centers, use the push stick method, or use a jig. Get uh, a bevel, bevel jig. Like the yeah. one that Creative Man sells. Yeah, like that one, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, make make your life as easy as possible with as many markouts as you can. Uh, you can even mark out the height of your grind so that you can check both height and width of your grind and if you need to move it up then you just you know push down on the spine if you need to move it towards the edge then you know you push up towards the edge i have a video on my youtube channel on belt grinder tips uh which goes into a little bit detail and shows you how i approach that so i got a lot out of that video yeah if you're interested in that kind of thing then uh, i'd recommend you check that out but uh yeah thank you for very much for the question hope you helped hope it Uh helped yeah, hopefully. Uh, and you can always message us um, outside of this, David, and if you uh, if you want more information. Our final email is from Blaine Wilkins, Wilkins Welding and Forge. He says, hey guys, so my day job is being a tire technician. We also do brakes and lift kits and such, which has provided me with loads of leaf and coil springs. I was wondering if either of you knew if brake rotors were a high carbon steel because when we turn rotors it pretty much makes powdered steel that we have five gallon buckets of. If it is, would it be possible to forge a canister Damascus without a press? Well, to answer the last question, very much yes, up to a certain size, it's very doable to do canister Damascus without a press. Check out check out our last interviewee yeah, on this channel. Yeah, Green Beetle. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm all thinking of, his, of doing it soon too. Yeah, all of his early videos are uh, of canister Damascus with a yeah. hand hammer. If you're doing it with a hand hammer, I wouldn't go probably bigger than maybe two inch, inch square yeah, or inch two and inch, a half. Yeah, two inch to inch and a half is normally what I would recommend. Yeah, yeah. Any bigger than that, and you're just sort of asking for trouble. Unless it's Seth Wood, and then you can go five inch thick. Well, that's it, of course. You know, like he, he could probably do twelve inch square tubing. Just, yeah, that's know. it. <laughs> set it with one strike oh, he just lift up one anvil and hit it with the other one yeah. <laughs> oh yeah the man's a legend uh, as for the uh, rotors I'm not actually sure of their composition um, that, that question is such a loaded one because there are various manufacturers and they'll all use not slightly, a standardised thing yeah. yeah they'll all use slightly different alloys and stuff and some of them will be like cobalt based and weird shit so I wouldn't recommend playing with it unless you can find the details on their website somewhere like the thing is is that that's like asking is a leaf spring made of 5160 the answer is no because you know there are manufacturers that use all different kinds of alloys um the only way to test would be to make one and then try and harden it 
<laughs> why yeah. you know uh, the, that and unfortunately when it comes to scrap steel sometimes that's the only answer is quench it and see yeah and check out my video just a shameless self promotion here check out my video i did a while back on uh, scrap versus known steel because really what it comes down to is how hardcore are you doing testing on your work that's what it really it doesn't yeah. matter what steel is made out of does it do what it needs to do and exceed that uh, that's that's, that's the only thing that matters but one thing i will point out here if you're getting leaf and coil springs plentifully um at a place where they're doing swap outs of those all the time just be aware that those sorts of um, articles do generate or have a tendency to generate micro fractures in them which is why those springs go um, quote unquote flat uh, for a while uh, and those micro fractures can lead to problems um, i personally have not had problems but um, other people have a lot of other people have including past multiple time guest niels vandenberg he has also had, legendary knife maker <laughs> yes um yeah he's he's had a knife made from a leaf spring fail um in the hands of a customer before which is every knife maker's worst nightmare yeah and, and i've seen reviews multiple reviews for like the nepalese cookery companies who use truck leaf springs and most of the time they serve really well but occasionally you'll get one that just loses a gigantic chip out of the edge yeah because it had a, a micro fracture in it so so you but don't yeah. have to you don't have to wait until you've done all your finished polishing and everything to do this but uh, get it to a point sharpen up and test the hell out of it thrash the damn thing i will say i have seen brake rotors turned into knives before there are a number of videos online of people using brake rotors to make knives i'm not sure how effective they are but um if you manage to get your hands on an old worn out one try and make a cutting edge or something like that or just cut a small scrap out of it heat treat that and then if that works then normally you can assume that the dust will also be the same and note the manufacturer and model of the brake rotor because if you're making planning on making canister damascus and you're damascus and you're trying to make the powder uh, into it then it, if you're mixing and matching different brake rotors then you're going to get a mixed and matched because uh, i imagine if they're storing it all in five gallon buckets they're not doing that <laughs> sort sorted by a manufacturer yeah well uh, as a last aside um i would recommend doing what green beetle does and end up using some known steel as a core or mm. as an edge mm. so you know like doesn't matter what you end up making the, the the canister out of if you make the damascus and then wrap that around something that can actually like you know can be hardened then it doesn't matter if it's hardenable on the outside anyway or even if you're not comfortable or not feel don't feel like you're at a level yet where you can do jacketed um welds on things do a shurap and just uh you know well stick, stick it, it on the, the bottom outside. stick a block of it on the bottom and just <laughs> yeah it. forge weld that that's a really easy forge weld to do yep so yeah th there are ways to make canister damascus without having to worry about whether your canister is hardenable yeah so, um and if you do make some canister damascus out of it we'd very much like to see it so email it into the show and uh, we'd like to take a look yes please we love that kind of stuff yeah so inspirations of the week sam who you got well i had to think for a minute but um it, it came to me in a in a flash because this person inspired me to trial the feather damascus that i made recently um now you and i uh, off show had con i had a conversation about feather damascus because it's one of our favorite patterns and my first attempt had been out of crushed w's which was a mistake 
because there were so many complex welds and sheer strengths and all that kind of stuff going on in those welds that it was destined to fail. And then I remembered that there is a small YouTube channel uh, by the name of Sperber Knives who has done multiple uh, Feather Damascus uh, billets by hand in some cases and by power hammer and others uh, out of um, just straight layer Damascus um, and they always look fantastic and he's done um, actually collaborations with Blackbeard Productions mm. um, on making knives and stuff like that out of his Feather Damascus so I decided that that would be a really good way to, to trial my you know my apparatus my tools and all that kind of stuff which is probably a good thing because <laughs> because the cutter almost killed me yeah. um but almost yeah killed no, me uh, through instagram yeah <laughs> gave my heart attack <clears throat> yeah so um Sperber knives he he's been um you know he's an up-and-coming uh youtube blacksmith he's also on instagram uh under Sperber underscore knives uh he's a german and uh, he's he's very very nice young lad. He uh, actually came across my YouTube channel, so probably about a year ago now, um, when he very like he's just started up and he was commenting on my YouTube channels and stuff like that. And he's grown a lot since then, and he's making some amazing stuff. So um, definitely go ahead and check him out. He does um, a lot of Damascus making, uh, and he makes some pretty sick knives as well. Um, I can definitely see that he's on an arc to be one of the one of the bigger makers out there and uh yeah i really enjoy watching his his work his videos are actually quite crisp and clean they've got no you know voiceover or uh monotonous talking or anything like that it's just the work and uh i love that kind of stuff so yeah uh yeah <laughs> i mean my my videos are always you know full of me talking and <laughs> stuff so it doesn't <laughs> reflect that very well but uh, his 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 content's great, and um, yeah, I had to I have to name him for inspiring me to try on that uh, straight layer Damascus <clears throat> Damascus feather, and it came out really well too. Like, yeah, looks, I mean, it I, looks really smart. I took a little bit of a different approach to him. I you know swapped up the thicknesses in the in the Damascus to kind of add a little bit more flair uh, to it um, than just having you know standard you know similar similar width layers. But um, the idea was there, and, and I had seen, hadn't really seen it before I saw it. Sperber knives do it. Uh, it had been done, obviously, but yeah, I hadn't seen it until he did it. Um, and yeah, I, I really like it. I want to do another one. Um, see if I can actually get a bigger size billet out of this one. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yes. There's so much difference in the various feathers. Like it, people almost have their own brand of feather. Well, yeah, I mean, cool. it's Bruce, Bar Bruce Barnett um, and Bill Burke both have uh, the River of Fire, which is a feather, but then it's also uh, manipulated so that it, it actually squiggles down the blade, and that looks friggin' amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the tightness of those patterns scares me. Now, actually having done Feather Pattern Damascus, um, they've got insane number of layers uh, especially because when you look at them they're on folding knife blades that are about three and a half inches long yeah and they're just really tight the amount of detail that yeah. oh, it's, it's insane but um yeah <clears throat> feather's been around for a long time and and you know I've seen on multiple done multiple different ways but it was a really nice way to start 
trying feather. Like, there wasn't a lot of complex forge welding prior to feathering it. Yep. Um, and it, yeah, it, it is an effective, it is an effective pattern. Like, it actually looks nice. Um, it doesn't look as boring as I thought it was going to. Um, but yeah, so have to thank him for that and uh, check out Sperber Knives on YouTube and Instagram. Mm. Not sure if he's on Facebook or anything like that. I don't really, <laughs> I don't really follow people <laughs> on Facebook anymore. Who's your inspiration, Alex? I uh, had somebody else lined up, but I discovered somebody last minute that made me just forget everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Um, uh, recently in um, I think it was in Pretoria in South Africa there was the Brooklyn Knife Show which still weirds me out because I keep thinking of like Brooklyn, New York so <laughs> uh, yeah it's not <laughs> I know <laughs> I was like why are they flying to America yeah no, during a pandemic since, since no it's um, still I think still spelt the same too but it's, it's yep. in, in South Africa and there are some incredibly talented knife makers in South Africa um, but um, Niels Vandenberg has been too busy to really make too many knives of his own so he was able to spend a lot of the show walking around and interacting and talking with other people uh, and I was watching a particularly long extended live stream that he did where he was walking around and showing off the work of all of the different knife makers there which for somebody who was on the other side of the planet was a really good way to actually get um, sort of up close and personal with all this amazing work like there's nothing like a knife show to make you want to give up making knives and forget <laughs> forget that you ever had the audacity to try can um, confirm <laughs> anyway he goes over to this table where there was a very talented very well respected knife maker whom i've actually forgotten the name of um uh, <laughs> everyone was wearing masks so it's really hard to actually hear the names because yeah. everything sounds like this when people are talking um but Niels was looking at this guy's work and his work was stunning and there was this one beautiful dagger full takedown construction dagger Damascus dagger in the middle on this you know special stand and Niels looks at it and goes this is incredible who did this is this is this yours and the guy goes oh no that's my son <laughs> and Niels turns around and there's this kid that's not even freaking shaving yet He's like, how old are you? And this kid's like, 15. <laughs> and I swear, Niels doubted his entire existence at that point. Like, he nearly like, just gave up. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm just like, hearing the story, and I'm already doubting my existence. <laughs> Jesus. I couldn't believe it. And then the proud dad comes over. He's like, and this one, and this one, and this one, this one. The work this kid's putting out at 15 just blows my mind it's so good and um Niels was really taken aback I think everybody in the live stream was taken aback um his name is Miguel Hetzel H-E-T-Z-E-L um and he's only been making knives for I think he said nine months and if he has gotten to the level that he's at now after nine months obviously he's had a very good teacher um but he's got a clearly got an aptitude for it i am waiting for him to eventually become the next carl roy at the rate that he's going yeah well, um, i'm looking i'm looking at his stuff right now it's insane 
insanely good. Uh, Miguel, if you're listening to this, you are insanely good. You are making us doubt ourselves as knife makers. <laughs> uh, yep. I'm giving up. This kid's 15. I was feeling pretty good about the rise that I've had in my knife making over the past 12 months. And, you know, feeling a little bit like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. And then I saw your work. Um, far out. Just some some solid talent there. Not just talent in like the build construction and the quality of the work and the attention to detail, but the design, the style that he's got. It's all there. The choices of color and materials, the, the patination that he gets. like All of it is technically on point and creatively and artistically on point. It is beautiful. And he's 15 years old. I'm pretty sure they said 15. Um, yeah, wow. So I'm, I followed him on Instagram. He only had, I think it was only like double digits when I went to follow him on Instagram or something. It was ridiculously low number. That needs to be thousands and hopefully <laughs> will be soon. The rate he's going, it will be soon. Um, but yeah, he's yeah, he's only uh, he's only got eighty one followers. Eighty one followers. There you go. Like that needs to change. So, <laughs> um, if you guys want to see, like, get it on the ground floor and watch this up and coming new talent, you need to go and check out Miguel Hetzel, M I G U E L dot H E T Z E L on Instagram. Uh, he's on Facebook as well. Um, I don't we, know we if he's link on- him in the comments of the uh, announcement yeah. on Instagram. I I actually told on on the live stream. I'm like Niels, you tell him I'm I'm talking about this guy on the forecast. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, it's good. You know, he can learn how to make straight razors in time for him to start needing to shave. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, check this guy out if you want to doubt your entire existence. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, thanks, 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 Alex. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm gonna go cry now. It's 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 inspirational, really. It's really really good to see, and um, yeah, he's clearly being taught well, but at the same time has his own style, which I'm really excited to see where it goes. Mm. But with inspirations out of the way, that brings us in to tool time. Tool time. Time is brought to you today by Creative Man. So stock up on your handle materials, blade kits, grinder belts, tools, including tongs, and more at creativeman.com.au. Their easy-to-use website is an absolute joy to browse around, and you will guaranteed walk away with more than you intended to get <laughs> when you went first visiting. So, yeah, creativeman.com.au. And this week we are talking about rotary tools we are not sure if we've talked about rotary tools before but we're talking about them again anyway yeah the the old timers disease is is catching up with us already that's right (laughs) we can't remember yeah i recently invested in a fordham sr and um everything else that i've been using up until this point is a toy designed to imitate a rotary tool so i'm I'm talking about them again because far out Um, yeah i mean i've I haven't been getting a lot of use out of my Dremel recently, but that's because it's it's such a pain in the ass to set up every time and then take down every time. Yeah. I think if I had it perpetually set up in a place where I could just grab it and use it, it would be a lot better. And that's that exactly of, what happens. That's why I want the Fordham, because, you know, I can hang it from a hook and, you know, actually have it set up and 
because it's pedal powered, I don't need to bother about flipping switches and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and that pedal <coughs> power is is um, you sort of can't go back from that because I I started with a Dremel, um, or not a Dremel, it was a a Zito brand version <laughs> of a yeah, Dremel. Yeah. Um, and then I moved to uh, a 18 volt battery powered Ryobi rotary tool, which was good. Um, still had that Dremel style chuck on it though, mm-hmm. um, but it was adjustable speed and it was portable because it was battery operated, which um, two very good things that the Dremel to- uh, Zito Dremel thing was lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, the the speed adjustment on those is so difficult to use. That tiny little rotary thing. Yeah. Um, the Roby one had a big old knob on the front. And you just <laughs> twist and you could adjust it very easily. But the Fordham has a pressure sensitive pedal, which allows you to control the speed, um, which is a huge boon in your work. The second one is that you can switch directions that it rotates, which oh, is hugely powerful. I don't um, even know that. And I, mm, no, I, hate, I hate you even more. Yeah, it is a bit of pain though because it, this thing goes so fast, like so much faster than any other rotary tool. You cannot make it switch directions. Uh, it's bad for the motor to make it switch directions while it's still spinning. Right. So you're like going going hard with it, and then you have to stop and wait for it to wind down. It sounds like the Concorde on the you know, <laughs> <laughs> and then finally it stops. Then you can switch directions and then go back into it. But the um, one of the biggest benefits is that um index chuck on it a three tooth like like a like a drill has like a power drill has Mm. um that that style chuck holds bits so much better and is so much more durable everything about it is better um and those dremel style chucks the little uh screw down ones the collets the collets collet things i can't use them anymore yeah, I mean, the, the funny thing is, like, the Dremel is, is kind of the ubiquitous rotary tool. Whenever everyone talks about a rotary tool, they talk about Dremel. It's kind of like whenever someone talks about, um, you know, tissues in the US, they call them Kleenex. Yeah. But I have found that the Dremel has some serious hang-ups in, in, its, in its versatility. Um, well, and, and its was- speed is one of those things. It's funny, the Dremel's ability to work on crafts is is limited to like what most people consider crafts. As soon as yeah. you bring it into knife making or blacksmithing or anything to do with like metalworking, it starts really showing its weaknesses. Yeah, exactly. It it, it is the uh, the Ryobi of the rotary tool. <laughs> it it is the, the the home tradesman kind of tool. Uh, whereas the Fordham is is kind of the industry standard. Mm. Uh, I don't know of a single maker that uses flex shaft stuff that doesn't have a Fordham. <laughs> um, but yeah, I definitely want one. But they, the rotary tools are just so useful that I don't understand how you'd get by without one in a lot of cases. Mm. Um, because you can use things like sanding drums to get into tight, tight radii. You can use cutting discs to cut very, very fine... Uh, things you can use carbide burrs to wallow out your uh, integral guard holes and well, not your integral guard holes, your guard slots and stuff like that. The incredible range of polishing <clears throat> wheels that are on uh, offer for them. Yeah, I was talking to Alex before the show about uh, the Kratex rubberized abrasives that people use in jewelry and stuff like that, and that's one of the first things that I'd want to get when I get a Fordham. 
And um, the Fordham actually has an attachment that changes it from a rotary force to a, like a tiny little jackhammer. Yeah. And you can um, put punch bits in it. Yeah. For stippling. Yeah. <laughs> Which anyone who's watched my Twitch streams know how much how's a, knows how much I hate stippling now. Tap 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 <coughs> tap, 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 tap. And, Yeah, when you when you're trying to stipple with a pin punch and you're stippling an area that's like even a, a square centimeter takes forever. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, and I mean uh Alex Steele used one in his Viking sword build to smash all the gold in. Um he put a brass rod in it and used that to mash down the gold into his inlay. Uh which is another way to use it. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's an incredibly versatile tool and especially with the flex shaft, like I bought the Dremel with the flex shaft specifically for that because it's almost unusable if you're using it just the body, like just the motor and you put a tool in that, it's, Mm. (laughs) it's unwieldy as hell. Yeah. So actually Sam's got big hands. Yeah. The flexi, at least the flex shaft means that you can actually, you know, use it in its desired, you know, form. But, um, yeah, having a rotary tool is better than having no rotary tool. And one that I don't see talked about a lot is the die grinder. Yeah. Um, Now, I have an air-powered die grinder, which I need to to purchase more tungsten carbide burrs for because it is insanely good for roughing out stuff when you're in the workshop and you want to rough out shapes. Also, air-powered die grinders will always have more torque. Yes. Like, so much more torque. Scary levels of torque. Yeah, I, I keep forgetting that I have it. Because I don't have a lot of burrs for it or anything like that, I, I tend to forget that I've got it. Um, and then I watch, like, John from uh, Black Bear Forge making hammers and stuff. And he's like, oh, I've got a bit of rag in the hammer eye. So he just pulls out the electric die grinder and <laughs> done. Meanwhile, I'm a goober and I'm sitting there with my file trying to file the bloody thing out. And I'm thinking, wait, I've got one of those. Damn it. But yeah, having rotary tools like that around in the shop is incredibly useful. And they're not super expensive. Like, the Fordham SR is like, what, 200 bucks, 200, 300 bucks? Something like that. You can get it as low as 140 if you know where to look. Yeah, so, like, you know, it's it's not a super huge, you know, investment. It's not like you're buying a, a heat-treating kiln or, a, you know, or a 2x72. Mm. Uh, and, but then the versatility that you get from it is amazing. Uh, it's you can also it's literally it. the, the tool that I use every day. It doesn't matter what the project is, I can find use for it. Even making sheets, I have yeah. slicks that go into my rotary tool. Yeah. I mean, if you want to see the the true versatility, just look at um, the work that Niels has been doing on the Ivor's axe yeah. for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. He's been using his Fordham SR to, to do all of the carving on that, and he did some insane carving on the sides of that axe for a, yeah. for a rotary tool. When I first saw it, yeah, I first saw it, I was like, oh, he's using like you know an engraving chisel or you know like a pneumatic engraver, and Alex is like, no, it's a rotary tool, and I'm like, I get fucked. there's no way but no yeah there's all rotary tool stuff it's amazing yeah and that that comes from the high speed when you're using tungsten carbide in a Dremel Dremel doesn't get fast enough to run tungsten properly yeah um the the faster you run the faster you run tungsten the better because you don't want to take deep bites with it yeah Uh, it's it's like like a ceramic belt on a grinder 
Yeah, that's it. And so the slower you run it, the deeper the bite it's going to try and take, which puts more pressure on the teeth, which is going to fracture your teeth faster. Um, and that's really bad for tungsten. And I wear out carbide burrs faster than I would like. Um, so that's why I'm going to be investing in a Fordham very soon. Hmm. I, I knocked the head off a carbide burr the other day. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep the shaft, because you can turn it into a, a tungsten carbide scribe point. Um, yeah. Or, or a guide pin for a folding knife. Yeah, that too. But, you know, there's not much stronger material than tungsten carbide. <laughs> the only the only downside to using tungsten carbide burrs on literally any metal is the cr- prills that come off it. Oh, they're the worst. I mean, if you've worked with fiberglass, fiberglass is nowhere near as bad. Mm-hmm. It it is the literal de- it is the literal devil. Graphite coated rubber gloves, yeah, is is the trick, and a leather a leather lap mat, yeah. Like if you if you don't have a jeweler's desk like Neil's does, where he's got the the skin that catches all the stuff that comes off his jeweler's peg, um, then I actually have taken to wearing my apron, my actual bl- uh, blacksmith's apron, while I'm using the dremel, uh, while I'm using the carbide burrs because it, the leather doesn't like let them catch, <laughs> they just run off. If you're going to be running carbide burrs in your rotary tool, I would highly recommend getting yourself a pair of splinter tweezers. Um, it's this type of tweezer that is specifically designed for pulling splinters out, and they have very fine teeth. They're about $6 for a pair of these things, and they are excellent at pulling out carbide slivers. Yeah, but they're bloody necessary. <laughs> yeah. They, especially on hardened steel. If you if you use it on hardened steel, prepare for, for hell. Yeah. Yeah, it's awful. It's the worst part of being a knife maker, to be honest. Upsides and downsides. <laughs> yeah. Like, you could Swings do and roundabouts. F- you could do it with a file, and then you're not going to have the problem of having being shanked by, you know, friggin' tiny elves thing on the planet. <laughs> but it's also going to take three times as long, and it's not going to be half as controllable. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but anyway, with that being said, we should move on to the topic of the week. Topic time. <laughs> Topic time. Meow, meow. Milly, meow. So we want to talk about something that comes up a lot in discussion and we kind of want to just cover all aspects of it. Uh, and that is the, um, the, 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 the love-hate relationship that the, um, particularly the knife-making community, but the blacksmithing community in la- at large has with the show Forged in Fire. Yeah, that's it. Uh, we're, we're coming into no nuance, no nuance November really late, but yeah, <laughs> it's um, most the, by and large the the reception is um, when you ask any sort of blacksmith or bladesmith about Fortune Fire, they say, "Yeah, I love it," but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's always a but, and anything that comes before but is meaningless. <laughs> um, like in a conversation if someone brings up the word butt anything they said before that is BS unless it's I like your butt well yeah okay but that's not the same butt (laughs) I really like you but (laughs) what do you call me (laughs) but But, uh yeah Fortune Fire is a controversial show um they Mm. but the the what I always tell people is to remember that it is a show. It is for entertainment. It is trying to appeal to a, a larger audience than just the knife-making community. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's not even trying to... Well, I don't think the original intention was to appeal to the knife-making community. Yeah. Uh, I think I think they knew from the beginning that it was going to be... <laughs> it was going to be contentious within the community. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, but, it's... I, I have to say, I love the show. Oh, yeah, me too. Like, you know, getting getting Massive that out of the way fan. right now, I, I am I am a huge fan. We've had a couple of winners on the show here uh, on the Forgecast. We've had one of the judges on the show. <laughs> yeah, and a couple of non-winners. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, and, and this is the thing, like, we, we have nothing... Like, I don't really particularly have anything against Forge Entire as it is. Yeah, I have nothing um, against it. I think it's, I think it's great fun. Yeah, I, the the thing is that I don't have anything against it as a show. There are certain aspects of it that I wish didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there are certain aspects of it that I think give a false impression. But overall, I actually think that it's a force for good in the community. It and has brought this... so many people into the craft. Yeah, and that's that's actually one of the points of contention, which is really interesting, is that some people have complained... It's bringing too many new people in with false expectations, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like, all of these newbies, blah, And a lot of the time it's very, you know, gatekeepy and uh, you can't come in because, you know, you're not a real blacksmith because you got in because of Forged and Fire, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's that whole elitism thing, you know. <laughs> you're not a true blacksmith, you're not a true bladesmith because you think Forged and Fire is cool. And we all um, know how I feel about elitism yeah, and gatekeepers. Well. Yep. But I mean, and but that is a very common, like, uh, complaint that I hear. Yeah. Is like all the newbies that are coming in. And I'm like, but isn't that a positive thing? Because if, yeah. the, com- if the community doesn't grow, then the community dies. That's it. And so if people are getting into Forged, like, getting into blacksmithing because of Forged and Fire, sure, they come into it with some really unrealistic expectations of what bladesmithing actually is. But that's when they meet people like us. They listen to podcasts like this. And they learn the realities. And then they either quit because, wow, that's way too hard. (laughs) 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 Or they go, okay, let's go. You know, let's actually learn this shit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the more eyes we we get on the community, the better. Yeah, well, the more people that are doing it, the more new generations that comes through and the more fresh blood that there is, the more there will inevitably be um, tool suppliers material supplies um tutorials media um out there for us more to to consume for learning purposes or challenging us to get better i know i'm always challenged to get better by young people coming in like my inspiration of the week Uh, and many of the listeners of the show who i personally know um, who are only here because of getting into forged in fire uh what is now years ago yeah, it's uh, weird. It's, it's so it's weird. It's been going for so long now. I know, it still Sam feels and I like are a, from a that crowd thing. that got into it before Forged and Fire was a thing. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And We're, um, we're the hipsters. You know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we were Forged and Fire was cool. Um, yeah. But to, to actually... Um, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that if you're going to just go out and get into blacksmithing in Australia, it's a bit different in America, but in Australia... It's hard to just go out and tool up. Yeah. There aren't really, like, 
Creative Man sells tools now, for example. Gamerco sells tools. There's a, there's a few other people that sell tools, but there's not really like a, you can't go to the shopping center and between your, your just jeans and your Woolworths, there's, you know, Blacksmith Mart where you can just go in and buy like <laughs> three different weights of hammer, five different pairs of tongs, an anvil and a forge and go home. This doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. But if it becomes popular enough, the need is there. And because the need is there, those things start to exist and it makes things a lot more convenient. Um, and, you know, yes, that comes with other problems, but, you know, it's, it's, it's like if not everybody was driving cars, most people would still be in horses and buggies. Well, that's it. And I mean, the other thing is, is that even in the, the frame of where there already exists a company that sells stuff, the more companies that are ins- like inspired to take up stocking this kind of stuff, the more competition there is in the market. And the more competition there is in the market, the more competitive the prices get, which mm-hmm. is just a net positive for everyone because we get better prices. Yeah. And even if you look at it from the, the fact of like all these newbies getting into it, buying up all the good tools and stuff like that, and then there's nothing left for us, think about it this way in six to eight months when they all get tired of blacksmithing they're going to sell those for half the price they bought them that's it <laughs> or any price they can get <laughs> pretty much they're going to they're going to realize that this shit is way too hard and they're going to give up and they're going to sell it for half price and we're going to go yay but uh this episode isn't just about um sort of discussing the controversies of forged and fire there's also some uh really interesting stuff about forged and fire that we want to talk about like did you know that uh jay nielsen or whoever the um the, the master smith is that they've got um in that seat on the episode actually does the challenge within the time limits and passes the tests before the show is aired to confirm that they, it can actually be done yep that is yeah. a cool fact i yeah i love that i love the fact that jay has a collection of like all of the test knives that he's made for the for the show yeah <laughs> because and yeah um, when you see the promo footage of jay smashing knives into ice and stuff normally that's his knife that he's mm. using not one of the competitors and um the when they pull off the silken cloth oh, for the final to show the historic weapon that they're making nine times out of ten that demo weapon was made by david baker yep that is cool uh, yeah uh, i and i mean i didn't know that until like very recently myself but i think i think that's really cool that um a lot of the stuff is made by people who are actually involved and I learned something uh, new about the show just this morning by watching mm. um, Doug Makeda and Jay Nielsen have been doing a lot of um, together live streams on Instagram recently. Mm. Uh, and he, Doug actually, uh, before they, just before they went live, put out a video where he explained that some of the weapons are so bizarre from history that um, he has to actually have special training sessions with them beforehand because they are so dangerous to operate. Um, that he can't just rely on his pre-existing martial arts knowledge. Um, a particular one that came to mind for him was Jay Nielsen's, like, war scythe that he made. It, <laughs> yeah. it had, like, a, a spike on the front, a spike on the back, a spike on the pommel, and it's like any time he swings it, some sort of spiky weapon of death is getting closer to him, and he had to actually... Uh, this is apparently a thing, like, nobody knows how to use a kopesh that's alive nowadays so he has to actually go and practice with it so he doesn't hurt himself when he's actually t- 
testing it on the dummies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, it, it's funny because Doug is a really good knife fighter. Like he is insane. Mm. Uh, and I've heard a lot of people like say that his edge alignment sometimes off when he's doing his cutting tests and stuff like that, and the kill tests and stuff like that. And while I've seen the photos, what I think people don't take into account is that if you hit something with a blunt sword, the sword rolls. That's the first thing it does. And so it might look like he's hitting it with the flat if you look at a still, but what's actually happened is he's hit edge first, it's just rolled, and then it's flopping flat. Um, and I've, I know that because I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> hitting stuff with blunt swords is not fun. It's a good way to break your wrist. Yeah. Because um, nothing quite tests the efficacy of a knife like... Uh, sort of like a real world test I and mean, we can do our testing all we want of you know batoning and, and doing brass rod tests on the edge and things like that but when you're talking about swords from history mm. they had to go through some of the most extreme testing that there is and you know caving in skulls cracking through armor all this sort of thing that's tough stuff and so to recreate realistic scenarios for these things in a way that is visually entertaining to even lay people watching it is quite a task. And to be honest, they do it spectacularly well. Yeah, I, I will admit that some of the strength tests that they put the knives through are ridiculous. Like, and some the of the ice cube. Ah, oh, the ice block chop. Every oh, time. That's so it's, harsh. It's the it's very visually stunning, but it is so dangerous for the knife. Like, <laughs> and and the thing is, the thing you've got to remember is when they're making the historical weapons and when they're making the knives, they're not making them to be the best of that, right? Like, when they're making a rapier, they're not making the best rapier. They're making the most bomb-proof rapier they can because they know it's going to be beat to shit. And mm. one of the things that Forge and Fire does is it's not about like what the weapon was capable of it's about what the maker is capable of mm. right so it's it's much like the um the abs uh test for a knife no knife should be able to bend to 90 degrees right like <laughs> if it's a use if it's a good usable knife most knives will not bend to 90 degrees because that's not a thing that a knife needs to do mm. but a maker needs to be like a maker needs to prove that he is able to make a knife that can do that in order to prove something. Yeah. And so in the Forge and Fire, you need to not look at the at it as an assessment of the weapon. It's more of an assessment of the maker. Hmm. So when they start hurling swords at brick walls to try and test the tip, um, yes, you can scream at the, the monitor that, you know, they never did that in history. Rah, rah, rah. It's not a test of the sword. <laughs> It's a test of the maker. You're telling me that they didn't have air cannons to launch spears out of during the Battle of Hastings? <laughs> well, you know, they might have had one or two. Um, <clears throat> you never know. You weren't there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but my family was. This is true. This is true. So is mine. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, at the end of the day, Forge and Fire does a great deal of good for our community. And it does a great deal of good for the makers. Like, I enjoy watching it because I get to see new makers and follow people. Like, half the makers that I know, I found them through Forged and Fire. <laughs> I was like, I, hey. I, I watch it like... Because uh, I, I am not interested in sport. I'm one of those people that just... I do not care about watching football or cricket or whatever. Hockey. 
curling doesn't bother me at all like the closest <laughs> i get to watching sport is i watch competitive poker sometimes because i was a, a poker tournament player um and so that appeals to me that's the closest i get but forged in fire i am yelling at the screen like you see people do like <laughs> i grew up with my dad like yelling at football players like what are you doing <laughs> yeah i and, that's that's me watching Forge and Fire. It's like, oh shit, he went for the water quench. Oh, oh my god. Okay, i i have to I have to go no nuance November right now. I hate that that has become a thing. That everyone now, like, it doesn't matter whether you're a knife maker or a non knife maker. The moment you go anywhere near water, people start screaming at you. <laughs> I actually had a student who'd never made a knife in their life come in and see me quench a knife in water. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, calm down. I know I, what I'm doing. I went through that with um, my, my student, Peter, because he wanted to learn how to put a hamone into a knife. And yep. I'm like, we're, do, we're, doing a, we're doing a water quench. <laughs> it's an interrupted water quench, but still. And you could tell he's like, this is so wrong. I'm putting yeah. it in, into water. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say that there was one episode where I saw a guy do an oil quench, and then he goes from the oil to the water. Mm-hmm. That's a bad idea. Yeah. Right, like, and he ended up with cracks in his blade. And there's a good reason for that, is because mm-hmm. the reason that you interrupted water quench goes from water to oil is you're trying to slow down the cooling process. Yeah. Not speed it up. Uh, yeah. You want the initial shock, and then you want to slow it down. You don't want a slow initial shock and then speed it up at the end. <laughs> but anybody that scoffs at the makers on that show and thinks, well, I wouldn't do that or whatever. Oh. Um, which I hear a lot of. It's like, how could they possibly think to blah, 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 blah. Uh, a really good video to watch is actually um, one of the you know, the, the YouTube knife makers that everybody knows in the community, Walter Sorrells. He mm. was actually on there, and he went on to the episode. It was a shame that he didn't make it to the end, because it was the Naginata episode, I believe, and I think he would have uh, done a great job on that. He would have smashed that. He would have just absolutely knocked it out of the park, because he's total weeb like you. And um, Naginata is like the classic wee weapon outside yep. the katana. And, um, but anyway, he did a video explaining what it was like. And it was up until that point, like, I've, I've worked on film sets before, but it hadn't occurred to me that um, underneath all of that lighting crammed into a room with four forges, triple burner forges going, um, and people running around, power hammers going, people shouting, Will Willis yelling in your ear, <laughs> 30 seconds remaining! And, a, and another, and a clock above you, and you yeah. know, grinders and, going, and, and all people kinds of coming stuff. up and asking you questions and shit while you're, you know, shoving cameras in your face while you're trying to work and you're in the zone and all that sort of thing. Like, you can't even see the color of your steel because there are so many lights going on. Uh, and yeah. all all of the little details that you don't realize you're relying on like if i'm forging in a coal forge i only realized in the last six months or so that i am often relying on the smell of the steel because mm-hmm. steel in a coal forge smells different at different temperatures you can tell when it's ready and pull it out and you know that it's that temperature it's 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 hit a dull orange because it's hit a particular smell you can't get that in a in a studio environment like that no, if you if you're going for trying to get your quench temperature you can't tell what the color is mm. no you yeah, should be because weird ambient light and all kinds of crazy stuff 
Yeah, uh, and they do have things like, you know, there's people like Jay Nielsen and Ben Abbott and Jason Knight sitting there. They have put magnets in the the toolboxes and everything, but they're hidden away. They're mm. there for if people know to look for them, but they're not yeah. just stuck out in the open for anybody. It's well, like how they put both 30-minute epoxy and 5-minute epoxy on the shelves. They want yeah. to <laughs> test well, if people are paying attention. And the other thing is, like, I've seen people do the three-hour challenge at home. I've done it. Like, I ha- I still haven't done a full Forged in Fire challenge mm. yet. I want but to. But I've done, I've done our one-hour knife challenge. I've done a two-hour knife challenge and all this kind of stuff. A 48-hour knife challenge. Yeah. Even at my home shop, right, with no one breathing down my neck, with no other workers around me, I still found it a struggle. You add in all of the other elements plus the stress of if i f- screw this up i'm gonna lose ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars right you this is a competition you, you add all of those stresses in you're gonna make screw-ups like um friggin uh, bert foster who's a master smith absolutely slayed his first time on the show but the second time on the show he got knocked out in the first round because it just went wrong for him <laughs> You know, yeah. like, and he's a mastersmith. He makes some insane stuff, right? Like this guy's top tier. He's a mastersmith in the ABS, and we all know what goes into that. And yet, he lost out in the first round because things went wrong. Mm. And it, it just happens. goes to show, that, yeah, it just goes to show that like making a judgment of someone's ability purely based on whether or not they can meet the forged in fire requirements <laughs> is not necessarily the best thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, all all around, though, I. I will never not love that show. I, I love everything about it. I love the drama of it. I love watching um, watching people make horrible mistakes. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> I, lo- I, I love I love watching. Like I, I now love watching it because I know a bunch of the people that have been on it. And go like I know that guy. <laughs> yeah, I've been. I have to admit, I've been going back and rewatching some episodes now that I know the people to. Yeah. Um, because at the time, like I had not like I had watched colin miller's episode and had never noticed that it was colin miller but then i got to know colin miller and i went back and watched his episode um god that boy's got some talent and um and like zane birch was on the show yeah i had watched that episode didn't i don't i don't think i even have watched his episode yet he Uh, i have to say they did my boy wrong (laughs) i i I think he should have made it through uh well i'll have to watch it and, and make my judgment yeah I, i'm i'm a little, I, little little bit dirty about how my they did my boy i remember um my goof when i used jordan lamoth as a uh, as an inspiration of the week and i didn't realize that he won the episode that he was on yeah oh god yeah but um yeah no fortune fire is fantastic and and like despite all of the and they're reasonable you know issues with it you know like it doesn't show tempering so therefore people get the idea that you can just quench a knife and go go for it yeah um <laughs> uh, they give you four days now to make swords and so people come to me as a customer. So only maker four and, days now yeah they've changed it to four days it used to be Oof. five now it's four and they've done claymores in four days just to let you know i'm on my fifth day of a sub hilt fighter <laughs> <laughs> and i'm not done yet <laughs> Well, and this is it. Like they they get four ten hour days. It's not even like four days run together. They only get ten hours in the shop. Yeah, right. They, they are cut off at ten hours because for health and safety. So, 
they get 40 hours to make a sword but 40 hours over four days is not 40 hours no <laughs> like it's insane um but yeah like people come to you with unrealistic expectations of what you're capable of in a short period of time like people come to me and they go hey can you make me a knife and i'm like yeah sure it'll be you know whatever price and they're like well that's expensive how long is it going to take and i go about six months and they go shit like, <laughs> why can't you make it by next week and i go because i'm human <laughs> like because i have other orders and you know that's not how knife making works mm. i can make you a knife in an hour no problem but it won't be a very good one <laughs> i don't know you want your one hour knife came out all right yeah i still use it <laughs> i thought you it's, gave it away uh no the two hour knife was the one i, oh, right, the one I right. gave away yeah, yeah. sad i didn't win that i like that knife yeah it was good i, I went to um alan uh over in uh, alan spoonett over in um the u.s hmm. who i haven't heard from in a while curiosity forge nice guy i really like him yeah. but uh yeah with, with that being said um i'm sure there's a lot of people with a lot of thoughts on forge and fire whether you love it whether you hate it um i'm interested to hear from you guys so if you want to send us an email you can send us an email at ask.forgecast at gmail.com maybe let us know what you think of forge and fire would you go on if you had the opportunity did you get into blacksmithing because of forge and fire uh yeah I can't say that I did, but you know. <laughs> and while and while you're thinking about Forge and Fire, you should be competing in the Forge Cast Challenge, which is to make a working forge mechanism that makes the use of a spring, whether it's coil or leaf, doesn't matter, or any other type of spring. Um, but you have to have made it. Mm. Yeah. All and, of these uh, lever action firearms I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> if you give it a go go check out uh, tag us with the uh, the hashtag uh, hashtag forgecast challenge yeah I haven't seen any uh, in. I haven't seen any put up yet so no it's a tricky challenge it is it is and there's a lot of different ways you could go about it so mm. I understand I've got to I've got to think about making mine I'm just I'm hanging out to get back out to the shop I'm hoping I'm better by tomorrow yeah, so I can actually get out to the shop and swing a hammer again but uh, with that being said, where can you find Alex? I go by Valhalla Ironworks, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram, YouTube, Etsy, Redbubble, Patreon, Coffee, Twitch. Et- <laughs> Ugh, I said Etsy. Go to Etsy twice. Why not? <laughs> and if you're looking for Sam, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on all of those YouTube, Patreon, Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff, and the kitchen sink. Uh, (laughs) uh, we hope you had a fantastic day a fantastic week Uh, we will be back next week with another awesome episode if you have any idea for what you want us to talk about this is something that I've um, wanted to ask for a while is if you've got a topic for us or a tool you want us to discuss and give our ideas on please let us know because sometimes we have no idea what we're going to talk about before we start the show Sometimes we're so wrapped up in our own work, we get to actually go and do the show and then mentally blank. Yeah, or, or you're sick for a week and you realize that your brain hasn't been working for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. 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 No one tell anyone that we were, uh, that's what happened this week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, keep that hush-hush. Yeah, no, don't, don't, don't tell anyone. <laughs> All right, guys, with that being said, have a good one. 
See you guys. Oh!